Welcome to the Painesville Assembly of God podcast. We're always encouraged to know God is working through this ministry to touch lives. So if you have a story to share of how God is working in your life, please let us know by sending us an email at info at Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. This morning, a little chilly, maybe some of you said, that's too cold, it reminds me of something, but I enjoy fall. I think fall is a wonderful uh, time. Well, let me start with a story this morning. The story's told of uh, something that happened years ago in a small town, and, uh, and there was a business, and the man who owned the business had two identical twin sons. In fact, growing up, they were so close uh, together in their relationship that they dressed alike, and uh, uh, in fact, as they grew in their friendship, they didn't end up even getting married. They were just really a tight-knit family. But one day, uh, the man who owned the business and the father of the two sons passed away, and he left his business to his sons. And, uh, and so they were just a picture and a model uh, without the, throughout the community. They were known uh, just by how well they cooperated and worked together in business and how close they were at family. Well, one day, uh, there was a transaction that was taking place. One of the brothers was doing the transaction, and he received a dollar bill and, and uh, got distracted, set the dollar bill down on the counter uh, and didn't insert it into the till and then ended up uh, walking away to help with somebody in the back of the store when he remembered that he had left the dollar bill on the counter. And when he returned to get it, the dollar bill was missing. And so he said to his brother, hey, I left a dollar bill right here on the counter. Did you see it? And his brother said, no, I haven't, I, I, I didn't see it. I don't know what happened to it. So he looked all around searching for it to see if he had found, maybe it dropped on the ground, could not find it. And so again, he said to his brother, hey, I know I put a dollar bill here. You and I are the only ones in the store. What, what happened to the dollar bill? And his brother got really defensive. I didn't do anything to the dollar bill. Well, this continued. He would not let it go about the dollar bill going missing, and it continued, and it created quite a rift in their relationship. In fact, so much of a rift that they decided they could no longer work together, and so instead of selling the business, they decided they would divide it in half. And so they they put a, a partition down the middle of the business, one brother ran on one side, the other brother on the other, and they competed back and forth, and for 20 years, their relationship was very tense, and, 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 and they were no longer getting along. Well, of course, one day something happened. There was a man who drove up in a fancy car and uh, looked like a businessman. He had driven up to the brother's shops and he had a fancy suit. He was well-groomed and he stood at the counter and he said to the one brother, I have a score to settle with you. And the brother said, a score to settle with me? I don't have a score to settle with anybody. What are you talking about? And he said, well, I've got to tell you a story. There was a day when I was poor There was a day when I was weak. There was a day when I was cast down. There was a day when I had no home to live in. I had no place to lay my head. There was a day when I was hungry and I needed food. And I walked by your store and I looked in the window and there on the counter was a dollar bill. And temptation got the better of me and I ran in and I grabbed the dollar bill and nobody saw me and I ran out. Now I was raised better than that. I was raised by a Christian mom And for 20 years, my conscience has been stricken because of the dollar bill that I took from you. And I have a score to settle with you. If there is anything that I have done, anything that I have hurt you or harmed you in any way, I want to pay that back. Well, that brother just stood there weeping. 
He stood there weeping because for 20 years he had bitterness. For 20 years there was sorrow. For 20 years he had experienced the loss of his closest friend and his brother over this dollar bill. And he said to the man, you know what? There's only one thing you can do. Go next door and tell my brother the story. And when the man left, he left two brothers, two identical brothers standing there weeping, weeping. See, what we're going to talk about in the Beatitude today has a lot to do with resolving bitterness in relationships. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 7, blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. This beatitude, whether we realize it at first glance or not, is really the cure for all bitterness, whether it is a family relationship, whether it be in a friendship relationship, a work relationship, or maybe just something simply in your own heart and mind. You see, if you have the problems of these twin brothers, you are not alone. These are problems that uh, many people face, whether it's brother to brother that have broken up, brother to sister, maybe it's a marriage that is broken up between a husband and a wife, maybe it's a friendship that is broken up in bitterness. The problem that we see, and, and, and if you have this problem, what I want to encourage you, in this beatitude today, you can find freedom. Most people want to forgive. I found that. Most people want to forgive. Most people want to be able to do that. The problem is not in wanting to forgive. Oftentimes, we just don't know how to get there. We don't know how to do it. The mountain is just too high for us to climb, and no matter how desirable forgiveness might be, we find ourselves saying, it's just too difficult of a task for me to undertake. So before we dig into this message and the beatitude of mercy today, I want to point out that as we talk about mercy, oftentimes we are talking about actions. We're talking about things that we can do. And we're going to couple mercy today by talking about mercy and its relationship with forgiveness. And when we do that, we have a tendency to think of actions and how we ought to do. But we need to be reminded that the beatitudes are really about being. They're really about character. They're about who we are on the inside. And you see, the, ch- the challenge with this and the Beatitudes and being is that we need the Holy Ghost, we need Jesus Christ, we need His Holy Spirit to begin to bring change in us on the inside that then becomes the fruit of our lives on the outside. So what we're talking about is not something that you can manufacture by doing on the outside. We're talking about something that's really important to your inner being, a character that is like the Jesus Christ in his character. Jesus was merciful. Jesus was forgiving because that is who he was, not simply what he did. In fact, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones puts it like this, a Christian is something before they do something. Man, is that good. You see, the first four Beatitudes that we have been talking about have to do a lot with our vertical relationship with God. When I come before the Lord and I find myself in His presence, I say, I am poor in spirit. He is great. He is holy. He is awesome. And I find myself in a poverty of spirit before Him. In fact, He is holy. And I find myself seeing my own sin. Therefore, the next Beatitude, I mourn over my sin. I repent over my sin. And He brings comfort. And in that, I say, man, I am poverty of spirit. I have these issues. I've got to now take the wild passions of my sinful nature and submit myself in meekness under the hand of God. 
So I find myself submitting to his will. All of this is in our vertical relationship with God. It's at that point that I hunger and I thirst to be more righteous, to be the righteousness of God, to live in the righteousness of God, and I hunger and thirst for his righteousness. All of this has just been simply between me and the Lord. But we have a transition taking place with this beatitude. And no longer is this beatitude simply about our relationship with the Lord, but now there's a transition that takes place that as I find myself with this foundation of the beatitudes before God, now it begins to impact in my relationships with others. And we see that now he says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Mercy is no longer just between me and God, but as God shows me mercy, therefore I am merciful to others. Therefore, I find myself in my living towards others as being pure in heart, and I find myself seeking to have peaceful relationships. You see, there's a relation, there's, there's two virtues here within mercy, mercy and forgiveness. They're twin virtues, twin virtues. Mercy is broader than forgiveness, but forgiveness goes further than mercy. Mercy doesn't always require forgiveness. Forgiveness is needed when a wrong is done, but mercy can be extended even when a wrong has not been done. See, in our series, Weightier Matters, we looked at a, a parable that Jesus taught on mercy, which was the parable of the Good Samaritan. And in the parable of the Good Samaritan, we see mercy coupled as both compassion and action. The Good Samaritan came alongside a man who had been beaten up by robbers. He had been one who had been taken advantage of, who was hurting, who needed, who, who was wounded and left for dead by the side of the road. And the Good Samaritan comes along and demonstrates compassion when others walk around on the other side, and his compassion was not only in his attitude, but was also in his actions. He demonstrated mercy by compassion and action. But the man on the side of the road did nothing to harm, did nothing to hurt the, the good Samaritan. There was nothing of wrong, so no forgiveness was needed because no wrong had been done. So mercy is something that is very broad. It can be shown when no wrong has been done. However, we oftentimes, and we don't see forgiveness without mercy, and so today I I want to focus in on the idea of forgiveness today as it comes together with mercy. Forgiveness is a key component in growing the two beatitudes that follow it and of purity and a peacemaker. Because without mercy and without forgiveness, you can't have peace in your relationships and you can't live pure before God. Look what Jesus said in Matthew 6, 15. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. This is a key verse in understanding purity. So when we talk about the pure in heart, we have to begin with this area of mercy and the idea of forgiveness because because when we don't forgive, it impacts our ability to be able to be pure in heart. It also impacts our relationship. Being a peacemaker is impossible if we don't get to this step here about mercy. So to understand forgiveness, there's another passage of Scripture, very popular if you've been in church or Sunday school, in Matthew chapter 18 that I want to look at. You see, it's on the heels of something where Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, came and, and he was thinking himself pretty self-righteous. He said, Jesus, if, if I have somebody that sins against me, uh, they sin against me, if I forgive them seven times, is that enough? Man, they sin against me, I forgive you. They sin, I forgive you, up to seven times. And Jesus says, no, 70 times seven. And then tells a parable. 
to help us understand mercy and forgiveness. Look at this, Matthew chapter 18, starting in verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents, and since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children, and all that he had in payment be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity, and you can translation that word to mercy for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave his debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, and seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. And the same thing that he said to the king. He refused. He went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave all the debt, all, all that debt because you pleaded with me, should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? You see, mercy and forgiveness, I forgave the debt and mercy, they're coupled together within this parable. And in his anger, it says, the master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to any one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. We talk about some principles of understanding mercy and forgiveness. Principle number one that we see within this parable of Jesus is that mercy implies debt. Mercy implies debt. The parable tells the story of a king whose servant owed him an impossibly large sum. And when the king called the debt, that servant begged him, please, please, I will pay you back. Have patience with me. Just be patient and I will pay you back. The problem was the debt was so great that the king knew that there was no way that it could ever be paid back. To think about it in relationship, if you took a look at what, the, what this servant owed and what it was to have a year's worth of wages, it would have taken 165,000 years to be able to pay back the debt. That's a pretty big debt, isn't it? And so, knowing that, the king, again, saw the situation, saw that it was hopeless, saw the debt, and said, you know what, I only have one recourse, I can either throw you in prison or I can have mercy on you and forgive the debt. So the king canceled the debt altogether. Now that would be nice if it was the end of the story, wouldn't it? That would be nice, but it's not the end of the story. In fact, no sooner had that servant received a forgiveness of his debt that he went out and he found a fellow servant who had owed him uh, a, a certain amount of money, had a debt towards him. So again, we see the implication of debt. The forgiven servant, he grabbed this, this fellow servant of his and he began to choke him and he said, pay me what you owe me. And again, we see similarities in the story as that fellow servant says the same thing, be patient with me and I'll pay you back. These were the very words again that the forgiven servant had said before the king. But the irony was lost on him. The fact that he had been forgiven such a large debt and now came to a servant who owed him, all of a sudden he decides that he is, is not going to forgive the debt of his fellow servant. He's not going. The implication in this story is to show him mercy. 
When all the other servants saw what happened, they were greatly distressed. Why? Because you and I are the same way. When we read this story, we are greatly distressed as well. We say there's something wrong with this. Justice needs to be done. How could that servant do that? The master called the servant in. He said, you wicked servant, I canceled your debt because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? So the obvious question, at least in my mind and maybe in yours as well, is is when we hear this is why could the forgiven servant not see his own hypocrisy in his behavior? Well, because the answer is is quite legitimate. He had a legitimate complaint. It's a simple one. He had a legitimate complaint. This man owed him something. There was a debt in the relationship. And let me tell you something. Often when we think of debt, we think of financial debt, but we often don't think of it in terms of relational debt. Yet every day there are relationship exchanges where people are giving and taking. And sometimes they will take something from you. They will harm you. They will take something. They will hurt you. And it is taking something away from the relationship And all of a sudden, the relationship becomes a debtor relationship. It's why we say phrases like, you owe me an apology. You use the word owe because we understand somewhere inside of us of this idea of debt. And so mercy and forgiveness has to be seen when it comes to forgiveness in terms of this idea of debt. This man says, hold on a second, this guy owes me. Maybe it's not as much as I owed, but he owes me something. He owes me about 100 days worth of wages. Presumably, the debtor had agreed to pay back the money, but perhaps he was a deadbeat. He might have said, he doesn't deserve to be forgiven. But isn't that precisely the problem of mercy? There's only one kind of person to whom you can show mercy. It's a person that doesn't deserve it. See, there's a story told about a mother who came to Napoleon Bonaparte uh, on behalf of her son. He had issued an order. He was about to be executed. And so the mother came in and he asked the ruler for a pardon on behalf of her son. And Napoleon pointed out, listen, this is the man's second defense and justice demands death. And the woman said this, the mother said this, I didn't ask for justice. I didn't ask for justice. I plead for mercy. And the emperor objected. Napoleon said, but your son doesn't deserve mercy. And she said, sir, it would not be mercy if he deserved it. Mercy is all that I ask. So we have to understand in the debt relationship, we have to understand that mercy isn't about whether somebody deserves it or not. Mercy is not about whether somebody deserves it or not. Mercy, in fact, is only mercy when somebody doesn't deserve it. We, we get this with ourselves. I mean, let's be honest. We can accept this. We understand this with ourselves. Prince Felix of Schwarzenberg entered into a diplomatic service as appointed foreign minister of Austria in November 1848. After a Hungarian result was suppressed in 1849, someone suggested that, that it would be wise for him to show mercy to the captured rebels. And he agreed. He said, yes, indeed. That's a good idea. But first, let's have a little hanging. Let's have a little hanging. 
His comment illustrates the problem with what Jesus is talking about in Matthew 5, 7. Blessed are the merciful, they will be shown mercy as a purely theoretical concept. Mercy, in fact, sounds like a good idea. It is something that we can all agree is a good idea. Even those who reject Jesus as Lord are impressed by the words, blessed are the merciful. We like the idea of mercy when it comes to us. But like Prince Felix, sometimes we have a hard time showing it to others. You know, when I experience mercy, I have nothing to lose and everything to gain. When I experience mercy, I've got everything to gain. There's nothing for me to lose. I certainly don't deserve it, but when it's extended to me, I love it. It's great. But when it happens that someone sins against me, how do we respond when someone sins against us, when they take advantage of us, or when they talk behind our back, or when they, they slander or, or something? They, maybe we do something nice and they forget to thank us, or maybe they treat us very cruelly. At that point, I suppose that, that sometimes we ought to, 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 to extend mercy, but there's been something wrong that's been done, and justice needs to be done. They need to pay for what they did. They certainly don't deserve it. They need to show me that they deserve it. They've got to do something to make up and pay back for the harm that they've caused me. They need to come and ask me for my forgiveness. They need to admit that they've done something wrong. I think because we're Christians, we're comfortable with the language of grace. It's part of our vocabulary. It's part of the songs that we sing. Your grace is enough. Your grace is enough. Okay, you don't like that one? How about amazing grace, how sweet the... Usually people start singing along with me. That saved, we could admit it, a wretch like me. Oh God, I'm a wretch and you saved me, you showed me mercy. But when it comes to my fellow servants, when it comes to my fellow people who harm me, I don't know that I could extend the same grace. Pay me what you have. Why? Because of debt. Mercy implies debt. There's debt. It's real debt. And real debt, it's extremely hard to forgive. Second, mercy implies loss. It assumes that a debt has been owed to me, and that debt that's owed to me has been canceled. It implies loss. The clue in seeing is found in the, in, the, in, the, in the nature of the blessing. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. How do we understand this? We might be tempted to see Jesus' pro, uh, a promise here as a statement of mutuality in, in a human relationship. Laying down a, a principle of politeness or something. We, we, might, we might see this in, in such a way that, that we see it as if you show mercy to others, they'll show mercy to you. Kind of like when, when you stepped out to go to school for the first time in kindergarten or first grade and your mom said, if you're nice to, to other people, they'll be nice to you. And as soon as you walked out, you realized that wasn't true. Right? There are some people you were nice to and they were nice, but then there was that bully who just wanted to take your peanut butter and jelly sandwich and no matter how nice you were, they just kept taking your peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Right? So how do, how do we understand this? How do we, how do we take this? It's good to be nice to people, but it's no guarantee that people will be nice to you. It's good to show mercy to people, but it's no guarantee that people will show mercy to you. They might take advantage of you, and that's precisely why it's so difficult, because mercy implies that there is a loss that you will experience. What keeps us from extending mercy? How do we, how do we keep from the, the accounts and the offenses committed against us from adding to it the compound interest in our minds and the accounting every day when people sin against us? How do we do that? We must respond in the way that Jesus describes here and cancel the debt cancel 
the debt. If we behave like Jesus and he teaches us, then in mercy you suffer loss. Mercy suffers loss. Our debtor gets away without having to pay the debt. And I don't know about you, but something deep inside of us winces at that idea. How can that be? How can we do that? I think it's, it's deeply ingrained inside of us that there is a hunger inside of us for justice. Uh, C.S. Lewis kind of talked a little bit about this. And, and, and he talked, to, he, he, he calls something the rule of fair play or the moral law. And it's evident when you see this, he said, it's evident when you see people arguing, they're quarreling. And so he says, when we're arguing and quarreling, oftentimes people will say things like this. They'll say, well, how'd you like it if somebody did the same thing to you? Anybody ever heard that one before, right? Or, that's my seat, I was there first, right? There's something that says, you took my seat, you took something from me. Leave him alone, he isn't doing you any harm, right? Or how about if you give me a bite of your orange or your sandwich, I'll give you a bite of mine. That's not COVID friendly, but, uh, you know, I'll give it to you if you give it to me, right? Or, come on, you promised. Anybody ever heard that one, parents? You promised, right? You promised. The thing that interested Lewis the most in these statements was that it was appealing to a particular common standard, a common standard that, that he called the rule of fair play. He said that, that when we say such things, it's appealing to some kind of standard of behavior in which the other person expects the man to know about. We expect others to know about that. And amazingly, the other person usually, he says, doesn't disagree. Nearly always, he tries to make out what he's been doing as not really to go against the standard or in some special excuse. So in other words, when we do something that's against the standard, it's not that we disagree with the standard, but we have a good reason why we did it. We have a good reason why we didn't live up to it. We have a good reason why that didn't happen for us. But when it comes to somebody else, their reasons aren't good enough. There's the rule of fair play. And there's an innate thirst for justice inside of us. And when we see somebody violating the rule of fair play, we say they've got to pay. But you see, mercy, mercy is, is something that implies a loss, a canceling of a debt, implying that someone will take a loss. The king was willing to take a loss in offering mercy and forgiveness to the servant. The servant to his fellow servant was unable to incur that same loss, and so he was unable to show mercy. Mercy implies loss. If I show mercy, I relinquish my claim on what is owed to me, and I suffer risk. I suffer loss. I don't know about you, I don't like either option. Yet at the same time, how do we reconcile this? I think we come down to number three here, and that is mercy implies grace. Mercy implies grace. There is no mercy without grace. There is no real mercy without God. More specifically, there is no mercy without Jesus Christ. In fact, the blessing is the same as the condition that is here. The merciful are shown mercy. I want you to get this, all right? In the four preceding uh, uh, beatitudes, what you have is a condition and then the opposite is the blessing. So I'm poor in spirit, but because of my poverty, yet being poor in spirit, I inherit the kingdom of heaven. How many of you know to inherit a kingdom when you're poor, that's the opposite. If I mourn, the, the condition is mourning, the, 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 on the other side, what meets the condition is what? Comfort. The opposite is comfort. If I find myself being uh, meek and I submit myself under the will of God and that is the condition, then what is the blessing that you inherit the earth? 
And if I hunger and thirst for righteousness, the condition, the blessing is you will be filled. But here we see something different. Mercy stands, this is really good, you need to get this. Mercy stands is both the blessing and the condition. It's the blessing and the condition. There is no mercy without grace, and there's no mercy without Christ. Mercy stands as both the blessing and the need. Wow. Or maybe it was just me. In the first service, I said, come on, that's good preaching, Pastor. I need a little bit of help, all right? (laughs) Come on. Mercy stands as both the blessing and the need. We have the need for mercy, but in order to be able to receive the blessing, we've got to demonstrate the mercy. It's both the need and the blessing. Oh, that is good. If I call in your debt, then I put my position, put myself in a position where my debt suddenly comes to life. I can't have it both ways. If I call in your debt, my debt comes into play. I, 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 I have a dilemma, so what do I say? Oh, it's nothing, it doesn't matter, I'm bigger than that. All the while, we're keeping an inner accountant. We're keeping track of those wrongs that are done, and that debt becomes compounded. Oh, I might stretch the payments out over a little bit. I may give somebody a pass who's offended me for the day, but I assure you someday, I'm thinking in my mind, payday is going to come. I like the story I read of a woman who was in her 60s. She felt embittered by the things her younger sister had done to her. And she had never said a word to her sister about these things, but she was keeping a record for herself. She told her pastor, I've written down everything she's done to me and put it in a safety deposit box with instructions that would be given to her when I die. Isn't that a sad way to live? And maybe physically we don't do that, but how many of us inside, if we're honest, with certain people, we might say we forgive or we've given, but inside we're keeping track. We're keeping a record. We hope that one day they get theirs because of what they've done to us. See, pain and hurt can be difficult for us to let go of. We might be willing to negotiate the terms. We might be willing to say, oh, there's a negotiation. Maybe I can let this go, but not that. But cancel the debt imply the loss, cancel the debt? Come on. How can I wipe it clean? How can I wipe the clean? The debt that the person has incurred against me and offended me, it is deep and it's in my very soul and it cries out, somebody's got to pay for this. The reality is, ever since the fall of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, we have been hardwired to blame. Blame comes more naturally to us than apology does. In fact, we know the language of blame all too well, and we need an antidote, and there is a force more powerful to break this cycle of resentment. And what is that force? Jesus gives it to us in this beatitude. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. The only force powerful enough to break the deadly cycle of bitterness is the mercy of God. Rene Girard is the head of anthropology at Stanford University, was the head of anthropology. And, uh, and during his time, he studied the nature and culture of many years. He studied different nature and cultures and, and those kind of things for many years. And in the course of his research, he made a discovery that astonished him. He, this was his discovery. He learned that the very things that destroy a culture are ingrained in human nature. 
things of selfishness, violence, greed, things that as believers we would call sin, things that we see in our world today. Anybody agree with that, right? He said that he, he noticed that that's ingrained in every culture, in every civilization, that's a part of human nature. But more amazingly, in his study, this is what he found, that the things that actually hold culture together is the need for a scapegoat, a scapegoat. Everybody he discovered needs somebody to blame. He found this principle embedded in every culture that he examined, that there was this need to blame, this need for a scapegoat. And so he decided to go into the culture of ancient uh, uh, Jerusalem, and, and he looked in the Old Testament. In Leviticus chapter 16, he found something. He found the blame. There were, there were two goats. And, 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 and the high priest would offer one of these goats as a sacrifice, and then they would lay their hands on the other goat, and it would be a goat in which they would transfer the sins of the people onto this goat, and they would send that goat out of the camp, and that's, that goat would become the scapegoat, become the blame. So then he looked into the New Testament, and he found that the scapegoat in the New Testament has a name. You know what the name is? Jesus. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Then in the New Testament, what is symbolized in the law of Moses in terms of the scapegoat is personified in the very death of Jesus Christ. He was the ultimate scapegoat. Hebrews 9.28 offered once to bear the sins of many. Jesus bore the sins of many. In Christ, the debts that we owe and the debts of others that they owe us have been reconciled in Jesus Christ. You know what? You know what this is? This is Jesus is God's way of saying this. <laughs> oh, man, this is so good. It's your fault. Blame me. That's what Jesus said. It's your fault. Blame me. Blame me. Jesus become, became that scapegoat. Because of this great mercy that we have, it's only then that we're able to be merciful to others. It's amazing how sometimes when I'm writing a message and I, I get the message and I'm in it or, or I've completed it, and it's amazing how sometimes you will find something on social media or you'll find something that somebody else posts that just really gets a hold of your attention. You go, yes, that's it. My wife pointed out to me a quote by Timothy Keller. I just had finished up the message and, and had come out. And she said, you got to see this quote by Timothy Keller. This is Timothy Keller's quote this week on tweet that he tweeted out. He tweets a bunch, but this is what he tweeted out. You can't forgive somebody without absorbing the cost. Either that pay person pays for it or you do. On the cross, God didn't just forgive us, he paid the cost himself. See, mercy implies loss. Mercy implies debt. But mercy implies grace. And Jesus Christ took on not only your debt, but also took on the debt that was owed against you, the debt of a fellow servant who has sinned against you. And because he has taken on your debt, he says, entrust me with their debt. Show mercy to them and entrust me with their debt because in me, I have everything that is needed to be able to repay you for whatever you've lost. Whatever you've lost, whatever you've encountered, whatever has happened, you will find that in me, I have everything to meet the need of your loss and beyond. So demonstrate mercy. 
Incur the loss. Follow my example because that's what I've done. You see, John Piper said this, mercy comes from mercy. Our mercy to each other comes from God's mercy to us. Until you begin to truly understand how much God has been merciful to you, you will not be able to demonstrate mercy to others. That's the problem with self-righteousness. The Pharisees could not demonstrate mercy. They didn't have the ability because they were too busy standing in their own self-righteousness. And as long as we stand in our own self-righteousness, we never get to the place where we can extend mercy because we don't believe we need it. But when we recognize the great debt that was paid, then we take the loss, the hurt, the pain, the things that are done, and we begin to turn it over to the Lord. And in meekness, we submit ourselves under the, under the, the hand of the Lord. And we say, God, I hunger and thirst for righteousness. And I would trust you, oh God, with this debt. I trust you with this pain. I trust you with this loss. Because I know that you're able to far, to far repay whatever that debt was. Oh, friends, isn't that good? And so with this, we turn to communion. Why? Because it's a reminder that Christ is both the sacrifice and the scapegoat. He's both the atonement and the scapegoat. He endured both the punishment and bore our sin to carry it away. He took our debt. Wow. Man, are you getting this this morning? This is a key to unlock freedom. So I want us to meditate on this this morning. And before we do so, can we just bow our heads just for a moment if you're watching online? And I just want to ask you a question, a couple questions today too. One, one question today, have you come to the king and asked for his mercy and forgiveness for your sin? Have you received Jesus as your savior? Have you, have you looked to him to be the one to forgive the sin debt that you have, the guilt and the shame and the sin debt? Listen, you can't be good enough. You're not gonna be able to do enough good works. You got too many years worth of debt. You need to just come and plead for mercy. And if you do, you will receive the forgiveness of God. Before you can forgive others and show mercy to others, you've gotta first be forgiven. And if that's you today, you wanna accept Christ as your savior and Lord today. You wanna ask him for his forgiveness today. Today. Will you slip up your hand today? I want to pray for you. I need Christ's forgiveness today. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Come on, let's pray right now. Those of you that raise your hand, let's just receive Christ. Let's pray with me. Dear Jesus, I thank you today for your great love and mercy to me. I am a sinner. I have guilt and I have shame and I've sinned against you. And I ask you today to forgive me and to cleanse me and to come into my life, forgive my debt of sin, and give me life, new life in you today. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, hallelujah. Secondly today, I said there were two questions. Today, there's somebody you need to extend mercy to. There's somebody you need to forgive. You've been keeping account. 
only you know. You've been keeping an account. Maybe you haven't said anything, but you've been keeping an account. Somebody has hurt you. Somebody has harmed you. You've been keeping an account. And today you say, I got to turn it over to the Lord. If that's you, will you slip up your hand today? I want to pray with you to begin to release those who have hurt us. Yes. Yes. Jesus, I just pray you'd fill us, God, with such an understanding of your mercy and grace in our lives, such an understanding of who you are, that, Father, you would help those that have been hurt, God, to be able to extend mercy and grace and forgiveness to others. I pray, Father, for healing. You have what it takes to provide the healing. Lord, you can meet the need of the loss that is experienced, and and Lord, you can satisfy. We can trust you because you are a just God, and we can trust you, oh God. So, Lord, I just pray for healing today, and Lord, for a supernatural work of your Holy Spirit to transform each and every one of us on the inside that we would begin to be mercy extenders to others. Teach us how to live by giving mercy and showing mercy to others. And uh, Lord, we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. We pray that you are encouraged and strengthened by God's word. For more information about Painesville Assembly of God, please visit PainesvilleAG.com.